I'm joined today by journalist and author Ross Clark. Ross, welcome. Hello, Douglas. Hi. It's great to be joined by a fellow Brit. I'm talking to you from Mississippi, but you're in the UK and you've written a rather interesting book about net zero. It's called Not Zero. Yes, not not zero. How an irrational target will impoverish you, help China and won't even save the planet. There's a cheerful thought. Why is what, what for, for a start, what is what is net zero by 2050? There's this target the British government has set for the UK. What exactly does it mean? Well, it means trying to get Britain to reach net zero carbon emissions um, by 2050. It's a legally binding target. There's only 17 countries in the world have set themselves such a target. And I mean, it has vast implications, for, um, both for the sort of UK energy supply, but also for steel, cement and um, uh, uh, agriculture and many, many things. I, I don't think thing is that this was sort of nodded through Parliament in 2019 without even a vote or not a vote in the House of Commons, the lower house of Parliament. Um, but nobody, neither the MPs um, who, who nodded it through, had any idea what it would cost nor how the government was going to achieve it. And they still don't have any idea how they're going to achieve it, which um, I think if you're going to put a legally binding target on yourself with huge implications for the economy, you ought at least to have a very good idea of what, what you're going to do to achieve it. Just talk through a little bit how we how we got to this point. It didn't it didn't sort of start with one sort of eureka moment. There was there was you know, Ed Miliband, who was a Labour left-wing um, leader who advocated for this. Then a series of conservative prime ministers and leaders, David Cameron and, and, and then um, um, Boris Johnson and Theresa May. They all they all kind of um, moved the dial towards um, this this goal. Uh, talk us through a bit how this came about and, and and the sort of the consensus between the two parties in Britain about this. Well, well it started with the Climate Change Act in 2008, which um, was um, dreamed up by the then Labour government. Um, uh, David Miliband, it was a business of both the Miliband brothers, actually. David Miliband, um, he, he sort of was Environment Secretary when he, he started working on it. And um, he uh, had the idea we'd cut carbon UK carbon emissions by 60 percent by 2050 and then his brother sort of got into his job and um, decided to up that to 80 percent by 2050 without any real rationale why he was doing it or what how what that would mean in terms of costs and everything and then I mean the dying days of Theresa May's government in 2019 then that was suddenly up to a a target of net zero, which um, I mean, you know, might sound just oh, that's a small twigging of this um, tweaking of this um, piece of legislation, but it has absolutely huge implications because we simply don't have the technology to get there at the moment. And um... so you've had a series of governments that have upped the quota uh, for um, emissions elimination by by twenty fifty. Why twenty fifty? What 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 is the logic of 2050 or is it just it's a nice round number that's an arbitrary date really i mean it's supposedly linked to the idea that well if 
you know, Britain did this by 2050 and other countries by very soon afterwards, we would be able to limit the rise in global temperatures by one point, by no more than 1.5 Celsius above mid 19th century levels, which um, it is all a bit too um, neat for me. I mean, you know, it, it's sort of modeling, isn't it? The, the idea that you can sort of, um, uh, you know, control the Earth's temperature like a thermostat on your central heating by um, controlling the levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Um, but it's just sort of a, a acquired a life of its own. And, um, you know, we've got to be there by 2050 or, or the world will end. And of course, um, you know, when we committed ourselves to it in Britain, the idea is we would inspire the rest of the world to set such targets. But as I say, only 17 countries have done so. They don't include the biggest emitters. Um, China and the US, which have shown no interest in setting themselves legally binding targets to do this. I mean, it could be that we do um, make an example of ourselves um, as a country, us Brits, but not in the way intended. Far from being a, a, a role model, we may become an example of how not to do it. Talk us through some of the consequences that are now becoming obvious. Now that we've got this legally binding requirement to be a net uh, net carbon neutral, net carbon dioxide neutral country by 2050. What are some of the implications? What does it mean for keeping homes warm and, and being able to drive cars? Mm -hmm. Well, for uh, the government sort of set a series of targets on its way to hopefully achieving net zero by 2050, such as completely decarbonizing the electricity system, electricity grid by 2035. Well, at the moment, we have quite a lot of wind turbines and solar panels, um, but they are, you know, as intermittent um, forms of energy, they are currently balanced by um, gas power. So when the wind's not blowing and the sun's not shining, we can turn up the gas. Um, that's not necessarily the cheapest and most effective way of using gas power stations, but it does work and keeps the lights on. But um, exactly what happens in 2035 when the last um gas power station is supposed to close i have absolutely idea no idea and i keep asking government ministers this and they cannot tell me how what happens in 2035 um likewise um you know we, we've got a target to eliminate all petrol and diesel cars by 2030 and hybrids by 2035 Again, that's sort of predicated on the idea that the uh, cost of electric cars is going to come down very sharply and the battery technology is going to improve. Well, we're not there yet. I mean, you know, by next year, by 2024, we were told the price of an electric car would be on a parity with a petrol one. Well, that's not even nearly the case. The electric cars are still costing half as much again as their petrol equivalent. But I think, I, that, but, yeah, sorry. I, I try and explain this to an American audience, um, and often I'm met with complete incredulity. But it, it is the case in Britain that in a few years' time, it will become illegal to sell a new internal combustion engine, a, a car with a, a, a gas petrol powered engine. Is that right? That, that, that is absolutely right. And, um, Britain's going to be rather isolated in this because um, the EU was going to have such a target, eliminate all uh, 
internal combustion engines by 2035, but it pulled back on it um, due to the protests by German car makers. So in, in the EU has now said, well, yeah, you can have um, internal combustion engines after 2035, as long as they are powered by e-fuels, you know, synthetic fuels, which are manufactured rather than um, drilled out the ground. Um, Presumably this also applies to things like mowers. You won't be able to buy a grass mower to cut your lawn with a internal combustion engine in Britain in a few years time. Um, no, no, exactly. Um, you know, all sort of. But what what happens to um commercial vehicles? That's another sort of hot potato. It, 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 you know, electric cars sort of work on a, a fairly smallish scale. But if you have heavy vehicles, heavy goods vehicles, are very very difficult to see how under existing battery technology you can electrify them. You know, we had a big um step up from lead acid batteries to lithium batteries a few years ago mm -hmm. well we would require another sort of similar step up in technology in terms of sort of weight power to weight ratio in order to make um electric lorries and buses practical and um you know again the government seems to have no idea of um what happens if that breakthrough in technology doesn't occur it's just sort of um you know, we've created this sort of hostage to fortune. Um, we're now sort of utterly reliant on on technologies magically appearing when just because we want them to. If if you create a legal requirement that bans the sale of cars with internal combustion engines, makes it impossible for hauliers and truckers to carry heavy goods around the country. If you pass laws that in effect make it impossible for people to heat their homes because natural gas powered heating becomes illegal. At some point, you're going to get, no pun intended, a car crash, not that there would be a car crash because cars won't be functioning. But at some point, you're going to get a an almighty political reckoning. How, how do you think this is going to unfold? At what point do you think the political class are going to say, do you know what, this is this is a, an intellectual cul-de-sac. This is an absurdity. We need to we need to change course. Well, the the closer we get to twenty fifty, the the clearer it will become that the, this is an impossible target to reach, at least without sort of, you know, multiple magical technological breakthroughs, which we don't have at the moment. Um, so you know, yeah, the government's already falling behind its target. You know, it was going to hoping to install six hundred thousand heat pumps a year in British homes by um, 2026. Well, you know, last year it was 55,000. It's, you know, not mm -hmm. even a tenth on the way to hitting its targets for sort of decarbonising homes. But I think the very worst aspect of this is that the, um, the target, it applies only to territorial emissions. These are carbon emissions physically spewed out within Britain um, it excludes emissions from um, factories in China, which are producing goods for UK consumers, excludes um, agriculture in other parts of the world producing food for UK consumers. And what the government's done by putting itself under this um, net zero target is giving itself a very perverse incentive to export our remaining manufacturing industry, export our agriculture, 
just in order to reach its target were to no benefit of the planet, of course, because the emissions would still be going on elsewhere in the world. So, so this is almost a sort of legally sanctioned platform for deindustrialization and deagrarianization. It 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 means that we're still going to consume the steel and the the food that we want, but presumably at an inflated cost because it'll now be produced by somebody on another part of the planet um, who isn't bound by these sorts of restrictions. Well, absolutely. In terms of agriculture, I mean, there's a great fashion now. The government's trying to um, promote for rewilding the British countryside, which means taking land out of agricultural production and planting trees on it or, or re-wetting it in some sort of um nature reserves wetland reserves um it's all very nice but um of course what that means is that um we, we export our food production we've mm -hmm. become more reliant on, on imports and, and britain as a country is only about 60 percent um self-sufficient in food at the moment well you know that's going to fall 50 40 percent or something um, to no net benefit for the planet, but, you know, the trees that we plant on the uh, um, UK farmland will be sucking uh, carbon out the air. That will go on, you know, our carbon budget and um, the food, the emissions for agricultural production would have been exported. Government will pat itself on the back, say, back saying, look, we've reduced our national emissions. But, you know, all that's happened is really we've just offshored them. So the UK is Im imposing this very draconian net zero legal um, target. It's going to have dramatic consequences on the ability of people in the UK, entrepreneurs in the UK, businesses in the UK to generate wealth and create jobs. What percent of total man-made carbon emissions is the UK responsible for? It's about 1% at the moment. We're so in, in order to reduce... That one percent, we're basically taking a, a a holiday from history as far as the economy goes. What what about other countries? China, you mentioned earlier, hasn't followed us. The United States hasn't, hopefully, followed the UK's example. And hopefully, by reading your book, policymakers in America will realise quite why America shouldn't follow the British example. What what about other countries? What 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 about you know India or or, or Japan or, or Korea? Are they are they um are they signing up to this madness or are they quietly opting out? They have not set themselves legally binding targets, no. Um China has sort of set itself an aspiration to eliminate carbon emission, net carbon emissions by 2060, but Xi Jinping has made it absolutely clear that will not come at the cost of economic growth. And indeed, in the short term, it expects to increase carbon emissions every year up to about 2030. India has said we'll, um, you know, we'll try and meet um, net zero by 2070. But again, it's not a legally binding target. Um, Joe Biden has, um, you know, it's a US has a target to halve emissions by sort of early 2030s, but you know it's not it's not a law. It's not going to um, you know no one's going to be able to sue the government for failing to achieve it. But that is exactly the case we have in Britain. Environmental groups are already suing the government, taking the government to court over things like expanding airports, building roads, because they say you know it is not. 
if it's not consistent with your net zero target for 2050. And the closer we get to 2050, well, the more environmental groups will start to win those cases because mm. um, there's no way the government can show that um, new roads and airports will be consistent with its target. Now, we're talking here about catastrophic monumental public policy failure informed by flawed analysis and flawed modeling with a whole army of experts um, instructing policymakers what to do based on a series of flawed assumptions about the extent to which you can you can model complex variables. That sounds remarkably similar to what happened during the COVID crisis. You had a similar problem where policymakers were told by experts presiding over a, a model that they had to do certain things. Do, do you think that part of the problem here, like with the COVID epidemic, is that policymakers just lack the intellectual rigor to be able to question the assumptions that they're being fed. They, 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 there's not the skepticism that they ought to have, that conservative policymakers ought to naturally have a, a skepticism towards people who tell them that they can engineer the world by design or uh, influence the global temperature by changing behavior now. Um, do, do you think there's a similarity? Uh, do you think fundamentally this isn't just a, a crisis of, of, of a so-called um, climate hysteria, but it's actually a, a sort of fundamental intellectual failure of Britain's governing elite to actually understand how the world works and exhibit sufficient skepticism when told they have to do something? Well, very few of our MPs and ministers have a background in science or engineering, and it shows them that they lack the confidence to ask the right questions. When mm. when faced with, with people sort of shoving graphs under their noses, and just as it happened mm. in COVID, and uh, on the, 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 you know, net zero issue, um, you know, the ministers, MPs get presented with these, uh, you know, uh, rather black prediction saying all oh, the world's going to be underwater and um uh, you know we're going to have more hurricanes and storms and uh, more people are going to die of the heat and and they get sort of um bowled over by it. they don't sort of ask the right questions they don't go back and read the research properly because if they did they they would find that a lot of the claims that are popularly made by um by um, you know campaigners, but also a few of the scientists in, involved in this area are, are simply not backed up by data. I mean, take for example the the number of times I have heard that hurricanes are, and are supposedly getting stronger and more frequent because of climate change. Well, the data simply does not back that up. If you look at the uh, what the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has said about this. It said, you know, there has been no upward trend in landfalling hurricanes in the US um, since um, 20, so for over the past two centuries. And it's too early to say whether there will be, uh, you know, any increase in hurricanes mm -hmm. due to man-made climate change. Um, I simply I heard John Kerry the other week went to a public lecture and he claimed that 10 million people a year were dying of the heat. Well, when you look this, when I look this up, it came comes from a study carried out by University of Monash in Australia. What it found was that five million people a year, not 10 million, were dying of extreme temperatures. 
but nine tenths out of them were deaths from extreme cold, not from ex deaths from extreme yeah. heat. And that's true. That was true even in Africa. Um, cold, and the, cold, the trend, is, cold is the far bigger killer. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in the trend, you know, the, while there's a slight upwards trend in deaths from the heat, there's a bigger downwards trend in deaths from the cold as the globe warms. So actually, to date, climate change actually saved lives from extreme temperatures. That would be your conclusion from the data. Yet yeah, it gets twisted, um, you know, to, to mean completely the opposite, which is absolutely bizarre. I, I'm slightly puzzled when I follow British websites and listen to British um, radio programmes and I hear members of parliament who are now ministers who I, I came into parliament in 2005 and I, I remember them when um, we were first elected, you know, people like Michael Gove in 2005 and, and various other people in 2010. They never had this sort of obsessive belief in saving the planet by reducing the amount of petrol that British motorists used. They never had this sort of zeal that they need to sort of, you know, deindustrialize the um, economy. I, I, I'm just puzzled as to where this movement came from. The people in Parliament who espouse all the, the, the this belief in in reducing our emissions to net zero, they, they, they never went into politics because they believed that. It's become a sort of post facto justification. Now that they're in office, they're either looking for something to do or the establishment around them, the civil servants around them, the officials around them are in effect sort of presenting this to them as a ready-made policy script. Do you, do, do you think it's that? Um, do you think that the reason why conservative ministers like left-wing ministers end up going along with all of this is because it's sort of presented to them by those around them as what they have to do. The things like the Stern report, do you think that has created such a sort of um, establishment orthodoxy within the administrative state in Britain that whoever you elect is basically going to go along with this nonsense? Well, it is very sort of puzzling to work out how this has sort of erupted into the, the sort of issue in the, in, in the way it has. And um, yeah, we had the stern review and, um, you know, I mean, that I think at that time there was um, uh, there was one group, the World Wildlife Fund or something, saying we had five years to save the planet. And then five years came and went. And then, you know, we now we have three years to save the planet. And another one. I remember King, King Charles, King Charles as Prince of Wales once said we yes, had 12 yeah. years to save the planet. Yeah. And it's, it's utterly bizarre that, um, you know, that the way this has sort of fear of climate changes have been gripped it's it's like a sort of virus in working its way through the uh through our leaders and i think the um the the, the government here is a very um sort of driven partly by the sort of public opinion on it because you know when opinion pollsters ask people do you want to tackle climate change everybody says yes because that sounds the right thing to do yeah. but of course when um, the same pollsters go back and ask people, well, are you prepared to give up your car, give up international flying holidays? Or, you know, are you prepared to pay £10,000 to rip out your gas boiler and put in a heat pump? They get entirely different answers. And um, people want, the, they're all in favour of the sort of vague action on climate mm. change. But 
um, not not the specifics when it comes to it, but there's also this fantasy which seems to have gripped the um, the conservative side of the house in Britain. It's the idea that somehow net zero is going to save us money. It's going to unleash a, a sort of such a, a welter of technological innovation that we'll end up um, with cheaper energy and cheaper ways of doing things. Well, um, well. <laughs> Uh, you know, over time, hopefully, we some of these technologies will break through. But it's not happening in Britain at the moment. What what's happening is that all the jobs making the wind turbines and solar panels are going to China or they're going to the US. Um, Biden's Inflation Reduction Act is a pretty, um, pretty obvious um piece of protectionism. Just handing out large grants to people who buy American stuff. And um, but, you know, as a result of that, it, it we've got sort of manufacturers looking to transfer production from Europe to the US and um, all these European countries, Britain and others who have committed themselves to net zero, they're losing out on the sort of boom in green energy and so on, be, and partly because of high energy prices, which mm. are created by the policies designed to to achieve net zero. And now, um, America hasn't committed to a legally binding target. It's not as draconian as the UK in its approach, but it's not that far behind. Biden, you talked about his um, some of his protectionist measures, a huge amount of subsidy now being spent on trying to encourage American industry to create so-called green growth. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the lessons that America should learn from the UK. Tell us how far how far behind is America in terms of um, making this this similar error. Well, I I think the um the the lesson of it, the prime lesson of it is by setting yourself a target, you you shackle your own industry, you impose costs on your own people on your own taxpayers, but you do not stimulate the growth of new technologies, new industries. But you see, on the other side of the fence, you've got um, on the other side of the political divide, you've got people who are pushing for net zero because they see it as a vehicle to destroy capitalism. Um, you know, the sort of Naomi Klein types who, who think mm. capitalism you know, it's so dangerous, it must be destroyed and it's destroying the planet and so on. And who actually want to impoverish um, uh, the people. There's a movement in Britain and, and probably elsewhere called the degrowth movement who actually want to, people who actually want to end economic growth because they think it'll be good for the planet. Um, well, the, you know, that's one thing if you're a sort of middle class, somebody who's a very well off and maybe traveling by train rather than plane is, is an interesting way of spending your holidays. But, you know, if, if you're actually struggling to put food on the table, struggling to keep your home warm, you don't want people saying, you know, sorry, we're, we're going to make you poorer in, in order to help the planet. Mm -hmm. So you, you've got these two sort of wings of the net zero movement who's, um, you know, while they might be agreed on they want to get to net zero by 2050 or even earlier, they have just completely 
different um, conceptions of what that means and why they want to achieve it. You know, from boosting capitalism to destroying capitalism, from making people richer to making people poorer. Uh, and, um, you know, you, you, you cannot have, it's, you know, the, the sort of net zero thing will, will eventually disintegrate for, for these reasons, because the people who are backing it at the moment are so at odds with their underlying um, philosophy. Ross, thank you very much for your time. Um, are, are you getting a lot of interest in, in your book? Yeah, it's, um, it seems to be selling well here and we've got lots Fantastic. of interest in it, um, people talking about it. And um, <laughs> I think we even overtook Greta Thunberg in the Amazon rankings. <laughs> that is, that is great. That is great to hear. Thank you so much for, for joining me. I'm really grateful. Thank you. Thank you.